If you haven't been here or you've missed some of uh, the messages on, on, on the Galatians series, can I encourage you to uh, go to our website, go to the podcasts and have a listen. I actually believe that, that if you do not understand the book of Galatians, and I, I absolutely mean this, if you don't grasp the book of Galatians, you don't understand what it is to be a follower of Christ. I can't be kind of any more blunter than that. But the book of Galatians is key to understanding the Christian life. And I hope that for those of you who have been around, that you've that these wonderful truths that Paul outlines in this beautiful book of the Bible, um, that it's been really, really helpful for you. And so we're going to finish it off uh, today and uh, looking at Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 14 to 16. Paul writes, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts? And there is the, um, the Passion Translation says, the only thing that really matters, the only thing that really counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. As Paul brings um, his letter to a close, I think he leaves the best to last. And he highlights what in his, in, in his, is in his mind the most important thing about the Christian life. Paul says it's the only thing that really matters. Um, we were on holidays when, uh, when our kids were, were younger, and uh, we went to a friend's farm. And on that farm, um, there was some motorbikes, and um, our kids were just hanging to get on those motorbikes. And so I thought, oh, this will be a great opportunity. And uh, one of our kids, uh, said, who was around about 10 at the time, he said, Dad, I, can, I know how to ride a motorbike. And he says, no, you don't, mate. You've never ridden a motorbike before. And he goes, I know how to ride a motorbike. He says, no, let me show you. I know how to ride a motorbike. I said, no, you don't. Let me, I know, I know how to ride a motorbike. I don't need you to teach me. And I thought, okay, well, let, he's going to jump on it. He's uh, going to let go of the, he's going to stall uh, the uh, motorbike and, you know, that'll be it. He didn't. He jumped on that motorbike and drove straight into the fence. And uh, that was uh, our other son then drove through a barbed wire fence. It was quite an expensive uh, holiday for us, actually. And here's our little 10-year-old boasting about his ability to do something that he's never, ever done before. I won't tell you which one of our kids that was. Um, we all have propensity to uh, boast, don't we, on the odd occasion. Um, you go to a pastor's conference, how big is your church? Oh, it's between 100 and 500. That's true, it's 102, but we're, we kind of uh, stretch it out a little bit. Um, um, the word boast uh, means to speak with exaggeration and pride about one's achievements, possessions, and or abilities. To, to speak with exaggeration and pride about one's achievements, um, possessions, and abilities. And what boasting does is it puts us at the centre. 
We boast about how, how good we are. We boast about the things that we've done or what the, th- the things that we think we can do. And for some people who are fortunate enough um, to have a long s- a list of successes uh, to their name, um, they've got some basis um, for boasting. I don't like those people. Um, others, other, others of us, us mere mortals, um, who don't have a long list of accomplishments, who don't have a lot of natural ability, you know, our boasting tends to be a bit, a bit of bravado, doesn't it? We kind of just embellish stuff and um, not that we've got any substance to our boasting, but it kind of makes us feel good, it makes us look good in the eyes of, of others. And what the Bible does is the Bible puts some boasting into a negative light. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, uh, Paul writes, he says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. But what I found really interesting as I've been looking at this word boast is actually the Bible encourages us to boast quite a lot. In fact, I encourage you to, to jump online, go on to something like um, was it Bible, uh, Bible Gateway, and just type in the word boast and see how many times that word comes up in the Bible. And it's not always in a negative light. Um, so not all boasting is bad. So for example, in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Jeremiah, verse, uh, chapter 9, it says, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts, boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me. So Paul the Apostle actually mentions um, this word boasting quite regularly. And it's clear that on, on some occasions that actually boasting can serve a really positive purpose. So, for example, in Romans 5.2, Paul says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Then in Romans 5.11, he says, We also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then in Philippians 3.2, it says, We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done, and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. So not all boasting is bad. Some boasting is actually really, really good. And as I'm going to kind of outline, it's actually imperative for our Christian life. The concept of boasting is is quite an interesting one. Um, It has its origins in warfare. And what used to happen is in ancient times, as soldiers would line up and they would, they would face um, their enemy, not like today where some guy can sit somewhere and uh, uh, drop a, a missile on so- someone from the other side of the world. In the old days of warfare, you saw your enemy. You saw how big they were, you saw how ugly they were, you saw their sword, um, you saw the weaponry that they had. And so you would be standing there and you would be facing your enemy. And so to overcome the dread of going out to fight, what what the soldiers used to do is they would make declarations or they would boast about their weaponry, how sharp their sword was. 
how protective their armour was. They would make declarations about their physical strength and their, 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 their military prowess. They would declare their previous victories because they were hyping themselves up to go out into battle. And what this boasting did was actually it shaped the identity of the soldiers and gave them confidence. That's what the purpose of boasting was, to build their identity, their sense of self, their sense of esteem, and build within them confidence that that they could go out and fight. And what Paul says, that as as Christians face life, we are also to boast. But we don't boast in ourselves, in that which we have done, or what we think we've accomplished. Paul says that our declaration, the thing that is to give us confidence and the thing that is to shape our identity is our boasting in the cross. He writes, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might remember that wonderful, great old hymn by Isaac Watts. If Mike was preaching, he would sing this for us. Which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my... Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his One of the keys to the Christian life is learning to boast in the cross. One of the keys to the Christian life is learning to boast in the cross. Why? Because the cross is the thing that deals with our sense of inadequacy. It's the cross that shapes our identity. It's the cross that tells us who we are and what we have. It's the cross that gives us confidence to face the challenges of life. Of, our, of life. It is the cross through which we are called to look at ourselves and through which we are to look at others and the world that we live in. And all of the conclusions that we would come to about ourselves, about who we are and what we, what we can do, need to be governed and determined by the cross. And so here are some examples of what the Bible tells us the cross has done and who we are. 
1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Ephesians 2.14-18, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to re reconcile both of them to God, how through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached, pre preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile himself uh, to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace uh, through his blood shed where? On the cross. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and on the uncircumcision of your heart, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumph, triumphing over them by what? the cross. And in 1 Peter 2, 4, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. We boast in the cross because it's our reality and source of identity. The cross defines who we are and what is ours? And in those scriptures that I've just read to you, it tells us that because of the cross, we are saved. It's the cross that unleashes the power of God into our lives. That it's the cross that has reconciled us to God. That it's the cross that has put an end to the law in our lives. It's the cross that brings an end to hostility. It's the cross that brings us peace. I'm excited. I would like it if you were a little bit more excited. Um, <laughs> It's the cross that gives us access to God. It's the cross that brings us forgiveness. It's the cross that defeats the power of darkness. It's the cross that enables us to live a righteous life. And it's the cross that heals us and makes us whole. And we build our lives by boasting in what the cross says we are and boasting about what the cross says we have, what is ours. Now, if you've been sleeping, now's a really good time to wake up. <laughs> because what I'm going to say, let me tell you, if you get this, it will radically revolutionize your life. Okay? So listen. See, our mind, our minds are in a process of change. The Bible tells us that our minds need to be renewed. 
There are patterns of thinking that we have, that we've developed, that need to be unlearned. We have unhealthy and unhelpful mindsets. There are old attitudes that need to be discarded and new attitudes to be adopted. As Christians, we need to go through a process of transformation in our thinking. There are lies that we need to let go of, and there are truths that we need to seize hold upon. So our minds are going through a process of transformation. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Our soul, likewise, is also in the process of change. And the soul is the emotional part of our being. It has to go through a transformative uh, 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 process. We need to be healed of toxic emotions such as anxiety and fear. And we looked at uh, betrayal and shame not long ago. There are mood swings that some of us experience that need to be uh, harmonized and moderated. And our soul needs healing because it's been damaged. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is our shepherd. He restores my soul. And then also, there's something else that is in the process of change, and that's our behavior, our character. There are behavioral patterns that we need to stop. There are ways of living that need to be repented of and replaced with, with better habits, better ways of being. And so our behavior is in a process of change. Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it says, The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels. This is sound like our marriage, babe. Only thinking of yourself... <laughs> being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behaviors. So when it comes to our thinking, to our emotions, and to our behavior, there needs to be change. And this is where that little word, the little Greek word, begins with S and ends in O. Sozo, this little beautiful Greek word, sozo, that we've, we've looked at. And um, this is where it come, comes, into being, comes into play. Sozo means to save and to heal and to restore and to rescue and deliver and make whole or to make well. And as Christians, what is happening in our mind and in our emotions, in our behavior, we are going through a process of sozo. Of healing. And this kind of helps to shine light on, um, on, some, on, on some things. However, however, there's a part of us, this is what I want you to get, there is a part of us that is not in process. There's a part of you that does not need healing. It doesn't need to be made whole because there is a part of you that is already complete. There's a part of you that is not broken, but is, is, but is gloriously well and fully alive to God. And that part of you 
does not need sozo. And that part of you that is not in a process of transformation, Paul calls, here in Galatians 6, he calls it the new creation. You're not as bad as you think you are, you know. <laughs> this term, new creation, is made up of two Greek words, which when we bring them together, mean this. The establishing of something that is made of an entirely new kind of substance. Something unprecedented and unheard of that is completely superior to what it succeeds or replaces. Oh. Let me say that again. You are, assuming that you're a follower of Christ, you are a new creation. Something has taken place. Something that is made of an entirely new kind of substance lives on the inside of you. Something that is unprecedented and unheard of that is completely superior to anything that it has succeeded or replaced. That's you. And that you, this new creation life that Paul is talking about, is your deepest identity and deepest reality. Can I say that again? The fact that you're a new creation is your deepest reality and your deepest identity. Have you got stuff in your mind that's a mess? Yep. Have you got stuff in your emotions that are kind of crazy? Yep. Have you got behavior that's messy? Yep. But is that who you are? No. Your deepest reality, your deepest identity is the fact that you are a new creation. That is who we are. It's that which is birthed within us the moment that we put our faith and trust in Christ. It's the nature of God that comes into us when we step over, Jesus says, from death into life. It's what John calls in 1 John chapter 3, the, the, the seed, or actually it's literally in the Greek language, is the sperm of God. There is the genetic DNA. The DNA code of God is in you. That is who you are. That is your new Nature. We are made of a completely, entirely new kind of substance. Something unprecedented, unheard of. Something which is completely superior to what it has succeeded or replaced. And that part of you is not going, undergoing any form of transformative process. It's complete. It's finished. It's done. Remember in Genesis, oh, I'm getting off my notes now. In, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, at the end of, crea end of crea God's creative act, he looked at what he has made and he said, Behold, it is very good. 
And in this new creation act, God looks at what he has made. He looks at Brenda and goes, oh my God, behold how very good that is. And when Jesus is on the cross and he's dying, the final words that come out of his mouth is this, it's finished, it's done, it's complete. What's done? What's complete? The new creation. There's nothing more to be added. There's no process to be gone through at this level of our being. Now, sometimes we call the new creation our heart, our spirit, our inner self, our true self, our new self, the new life, our spiritual self, whatever you want to call it. It's the part of us that has been fused and joined together in an eternal, unbreakable bond with God. And it is completely and totally whole. There's a part of you, you feel, we all feel like a bit of a mess. But can I tell you that at the core of your being, there is a part of you that does not need to be fixed. There's a part of you that is fully whole and complete. In Galatians 2.20, which for me is the key verse in the entire book of Galatians, and this is what I think Paul is talking about. He says, My old identity has been co-crucified with the Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life, this new creation that I become is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life, my new creation life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Now, let me, in on, let me let you in on another little secret here. And this is what um, Clint was talking about last week. The new creation life is that part of us that is already love, that is already joy, that is already peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's already there. It, it, it doesn't need to be fixed. It's already complete. That divine life that is within us has the in, inherent capacity to express all of these various dimensions of the life of God in us and through us. Now, let me tell you something. Prayer does not make us a new creation. Confession and repentance does not make us a new creation. Reading our Bibles does not make us a new creation. Going to church does not make us a new creation. Giving tithes and offerings does not make us a new creation. Baptism does not make us a new creation. Taking communion doesn't make us a new creation. There is only one thing and one thing alone that makes us a new creation, and that is 
the cross. You can't improve what God has birthed in you. And Paul's argument throughout Galatians is, why on earth would anyone want to live under the law when they can live as a new creation? That's what he was getting at. Why on earth would you settle for something as pathetic as the law, as a means of right standing and right relationship with God when you can receive the new creation life? Now, this is way off my notes now. <laughs> Philippians 3, 8. Paul says... Um, all of that self-effort and all that legalism and all that religious activity, it says in some Bibles, it says, I count them but rubbish or dung or worthless. Do you know what the word that he used there? He was being vulgar. I can't say it in church. I could potentially, for some of you, that would totally discredit me. But it's the FH word. You say that all that legalism, all that trying to please God, it's a, it's a load of SH. Believe me. He used a vulgar word. He says, a waste of time. It counts for nothing. It's worthless, rubbish. Why, why settle for that when you can have the new creation life. And that's the thing that Paul can't get his head around is why these um, Galatian Christians are being sucked into the lies that the Judaizers have been promoting. And I'm like Paul. I cannot believe that we still have Christians today that will settle for rules and regulations over the new creation life. It bamboozles me. I'll tell you why, though. Because we want something to boast in. We want to say, I can do this. I can pray. I can read my Bible. I can build a great church. I, I, I look at how good I am because I give so much. We want to boast in us and our self-effort and our performance. And Paul says, oh my gosh, why boast in that? Why build your identity on that? When you can build your identity on that which the cross declares. Now, where on earth am I? <laughs> we used to sing a song back in the 1980s. Mike, are you ready? <laughs> <You know. laughs> we used to sing a song back in the 1800s. <laughs> Mike, can you lead us out? <laughs> we used to sing a song back in the 1980s. I say the 80s, it's the 1980s, not the 1880s. <laughs> I'm a new creation. 
I'm a brand new man. Old things have passed away. I've been born again. More than a conqueror, that's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Now, listen, um, we probably couldn't sing that today. It's a great song, but, but because of the, the gender kind of sensitivity, um, we probably wouldn't get away with it today. But it's a great song. Because it's causing us to make our boast and our declaration in the cross. It's affirming who we are. You see, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just little Steve Sutton who grew up in a little tiny, tiny rural village in the northeast of England. And yet, here I am today. I'm a new creation. I am born of God. Born of imperishable seed. Divine DNA dwells on the inside of me. God has taken up residence within my life by his spirit. And because of that, I am holy, I'm blameless, I'm adopted, I'm an heir, I'm a freaking child of God. And who would ever have thought that? I couldn't have dreamed that up as a little kid riding around on my bike around the streets of this little village or kicking my football. Who would have thought who could ever, ever have figured that one out? And so who we are, what we've done, or where we're from is irrelevant. What does others think about you is irrelevant. What we're to do is just to say, oh my God, thank you for the cross. And boast in what the cross has accomplished for us and defines us. As. And when we fail, which we often will, we pick ourselves up, we dust ourselves off, and we go back to boasting about the cross. Because ultimately, and this is the great hope, is that the new creation life that is within us will ultimately one day triumph and overwhelm and replace all of the other stuff. Now, let me tell you this. This is why I cannot and will not submit to a sin-centric rendering of the Christian story. Unequivocally. That's why I cannot and will not Build a teaching ministry that constantly wants to raise the issue of sin. It will not happen while I'm the pastor here at this church. Because when we set aside the new creation life, what we end up invariably doing is focusing on the old life and not the new life. We highlight the broken part of us and not the blameless part. We form our identity as sinners rather than as saints. And hear me, you know me, those who have been around long enough, you know that those things are important and they need to be addressed. But they are never to be our starting point. Our starting point, our deepest reality, our deepest identity is we are 
first and foremost, new creations. There is a battle going on. It's a battle over which identity we're going to live out from and live into. Our problem, our big problem is either one, some of you are sitting here today and you've never heard of this before. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, is this really true? This is a whole, you might have been a Christian 50, 60, 70 years. And you've never heard this before. Can I say, I'm so sorry that you've sat in the church for this long and you've never heard the heart of the gospel. I am so sorry that you were never told this glorious truth. I am so sorry. Sometimes we know this truth, but we just forget it. I forget it. I preach about it. I'm passionate about it, but I forget it. But what we need to do is develop the art of boasting in the cross to remind us of our true nature. I'll land this now. Galatians 6, 14 to 16, Paul writes, May God's peace and mercy be, be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. When we live by this principle, when this becomes the rule of life for us, it produces peace and mercy. Peace and mercy. Whenever you meet an unmerciful person, somebody who's not compassionate or, or has empathy, when you meet those kind of Christians, you know that they've got no under real understanding of this principle. But in Galatians 6.17, Paul says, From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. When you believe this and when you start living like this, you will be misunderstood, you will be misquoted, you will be attacked. I tell you, you'll end up with scars. Because the legalists will come out to get you and they will hurl Bible verses at you. And they'll accuse you of all kinds of things. Hey, just relax. It's just part of the price you pay for being a new creation and boasting in the cross. Wear those scars with some, some pride. Hey, this is all right. Look at this. They've had a go at me this week because I, I talked about the grace of God. They didn't like it. So they got angry at me and they've gone out and misquoted me and they've been listening to the podcast just to make sure that it was as bad as they thought it was. That is a sign, a mark, that you're aligning with the heart of Paul's gospel. Not the Judaizers' gospel, the, the false gospel, but the true gospel. And then Paul finishes his letter exactly how he started it. He finishes it on the note of grace. And would you stand with me? These are the closing words of um, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And I say that over each and every one of you here this morning. 
not as a casual flippant statement, but as a benediction. Not just a word to go out by, but a word to live by. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That little word amen means so be it. So be it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit now and forevermore. Amen.